morning for a change. Um, we did two weeks of Advent with n- maybe more untraditional texts. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the story of the wise men. And, uh, and I'm going to maybe ruin your idea of the nativity because the wise men are real late, just for the record. But we'll talk about that in a moment. As I said, this morning is about joy. And I want to define joy for us before we continue because we're going to look at a couple of passages and specifically the second uh, chunk that we look at is this definition is going to be very helpful for us. So often we think of joy simply as kind of like maybe greater happiness. But joy is something different. And here's a definition that I found that I thought was very helpful. It says joy is a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. So let me say that again. Joy is a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. This week I'm finishing up a book for a seminary class in a couple of weeks, and and the author kind of argues in there that every problem um, in our own minds of not trusting God is because we're either believing a lie about God or we're believing something incorrectly about who God is. And I think what that does is that robs us of our joy and we experience fear and anxiety because we don't know how to rest in the truth that there's a Father in heaven who loves us and knows what we need. And we need to remind ourselves of that often if we're going to have joy. And so we need to look back to see that God has fulfilled all of his promises so that we can look forward and remind ourselves that he too will fulfill the promises that are yet not fulfilled. It's a guarantee to happen. Some of them just maybe haven't happened yet. And of course, each first Sunday of the month, we celebrate that together when we celebrate communion. We look back to what Jesus has done, but we look forward to the second coming of Christ, which we eagerly wait. So this morning, we're going to look at the wise men because there's a verse in here in, in verse 10, right near the end, that says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's very descriptive. There's a lot of joy in that. But I actually find it very peculiar and very interesting that they have so much joy in this moment. And so we're going to look at why they do, and then we're going to evaluate our own lives and our own hearts. And I want us to ask this question as we kind of walk through this, is when we look at the season of Advent, when we think of Jesus coming to the earth, that that through his life he might fulfill the hope that we have for eternity and for here and now. Do we have that kind of joy? Or are we distracted by the things of the world? Is our joy sucked out because we're not reminding us of the truth of what God has accomplished? So let's read these verses together. This is Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. These are the verses that Iris read. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down, and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So I find it really peculiar, their response to this child, Jesus. But before we get there, I just want to clarify this, just just for historical accuracy. Is the wise men come on a great journey, and so we kind of think of this as the traditional setup. But the wise men are between 40 days and two years late for Jesus' birth. And I'm sorry if that ruins your idea of like, oh, this nice little nativity, and they're all there. But the point remains the same, is that the wise men from the east came and worshipped Jesus as Lord. That's hugely, hugely important. When it comes, well, maybe maybe our nativity set has kind of hijacked our idea of what it looked like. But the point is the shepherds first came and fell down in worship, and now the magi do the same. And we can see in the first uh, few verses that these wise men understood some of what was going on, though not everything. They go to Herod, who is the ruler of the Jewish people, and that's going to be very important in a minute here. Because they go to him because they go, hey, you're in charge. You ought to know this. Where is the child that was born? And then what do do they call him? The king of the Jews. Do you find that peculiar? I I think we should. In all likelihood, these wise men are from Babylon. They're not Jewish people. They study stars, astrology. There's a a bunch of other ways that wise men could have kind of been studying other things. But they're students of all religions, many pagan ideas. But yet what they knew is that when they saw this star, they recognized that this was no ordinary moment, and they knew that a child was to be born. And this is why I think it's important that we understand the narrative of the scriptures. It's when the Jewish people go into exile, where do they go? Into Babylon. When you read about Daniel, what do you read? that Daniel and that his friends were righteous before the Lord. And they were given high positions, but they also were faithful in everything. And so undoubtedly, these wise men had sat with these Jewish people and heard and understood part of what was going on. There's a prophecy in Numbers 24, 17 that says this, I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. Now, exactly how much they understood, I don't know. The text isn't clear. So I would caution us in in making conclusions outside of what the text says. But what the text does say is that they go on this great journey to go and see this child who they knew would be king of the Jews, and they bow down and they worship him. Even in a polytheistic nation where they worshipped many gods and thought all gods were worthy of worship, why were they on this great journey to fall down at the feet of Jesus? I don't have necessarily the answer for that, except I think that's very peculiar. I think it's very, they did not do that for all these other prophetic moments from other religions, at least not that we see in recorded history. They know that this child is different. They know he is worthy of worship. Whether they have moved from their polytheistic ideas to go, here is the one true God, well, there's good evidence that lots of Babylonians during those times recognized that Jesus was, or sorry, that God was the one true God and chose to serve him. Whether they were stating that in this moment or not, I don't know. But what I do know is they walk up and they see, when they see the starts, as they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They celebrated this moment when they got to go see the king of the Jews. Now remember, what we're trying to say here is these are pagan wise men. And yet they celebrated the birth of Jesus. How do we respond? Now, I'm not saying all pagans uh, or all people who uh, did not understand or agree with with the one true God and with the scriptures uh, respond the same because Herod, he's threatened, right? He's the ruler of the Jews. And for some magi to come along and to go, hey, where's the king of the Jews that we can worship him? And he's like, "What, what do you mean? I'm the king. I've been appointed by the Roman emperor. I, I... This is my place. And he feels so threatened that what does he do later? Do you remember? He plans to kill every child who is two and under. And we just walked through the book of Exodus. Is that familiar? Like we should see these things and and recognize kind of the story of Scripture of what is happening here. As Herod goes, we are going to, we're not going to let the Messiah live. This, this. Jewish king who's going to come and usurp me, we're going to kill him. And God goes, no, you're not. You can try all that you want. And notice, it's really interesting, verse 5 is the wise men don't know that he's to be born in Bethlehem. So they know some, but they don't know others. But Herod gathers the the kind of the scribes, the, the, chief priest, the chief priests, excuse me, all together and go, where is the Messiah to be born in And they know the answer. The Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. They knew he was coming. Were they prepared for it? Or were they living under the occupation of Herod and choosing to follow him again? We see different responses from different people through scriptures. 
Herod responds with great threat. The wise men respond in worship. How should you and I respond to that? Those of us who have confessed that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, when we look back at this, if we read it and we only read it as historical narrative of something that happened and it doesn't stir within us something deeper, then I think we've allowed culture to impact us to a place where we're more concerned with what's happening here and now than the fulfillments of God's promises. And so I think we should dwell on that and we should see this. We should be challenged by the fact that these pagan kings or pagan wise men came and fell down at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. And how often can you and I fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him? Now, maybe we can't physically, but is that not what we do when we gather together every Sunday? That we confess that Jesus is Lord. That we're here for one reason. We're here to bring honor and glory to God. To serve one another, to love one another, and to go out into the world and to declare this message to all that we have influence on. So the question that we need to ask is, is that how we live? Or do we just know that that's how we ought to live? Do we get excited, especially at Christmas time, when, when our culture has totally secularized everything about Christmas? And yet we can go, hey, we have a message to tell. We have good news for you. Are we excited? Not to try and correct culture, but to see it as an opportunity to go and to love the people that God has placed in our path. See, I think when we look back and remind ourselves of the promises fulfilled by God, that should elicit within us this response of joy and this this idea of joy, let me say it this way maybe, is what you're joyful about is you can't shut up about it. Right? You're excited. You want to talk about it. Uh, I've said it many times, but that which we care most about is what we talk most about. So what do we talk most about? It's very easy to get distracted and to focus on things like sports, things like our job, the hobbies that we have. And we can talk loads about that, but do we talk about the goodness of Jesus? the difference that God has made in our life, the joy that reading the word of God brings to us. If I'm really honest with you, as I would say, a lot of times I fail at that. A lot of times I see my biblical reading as as more of a duty than a joy. I think that's only because I'm allowing myself to see the world as more important than Jesus. And no wonder my joy would be sucked away from me then. Because there's no nice way around it. While the world has some pretty cool things, the world's a pretty broken place. There's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of love. There's not a lot of joy. There's moments, but they're fleeting. When we go to Jesus, when we go to Scripture, we're filled with joy because we have purpose and we have meaning. 
And I think this is one of the most important parts of, of our joy. And I kind of titled this sermon. I never titled my sermons, but I wrote a title that said, The Joy of the Gospel. And as I was kind of thinking about that, is I think so often we look at our Christian faith more as what's going to happen after we die than we do about what God's going to do here and now in and through us. See, God has called us and he has saved us, but he has saved us with purpose and with meaning. And that means that everything that you do and everything that you say is hugely important. And I don't say that in a sense of pressure. I say that in a sense of honor. God has chosen you to be his ambassador, to take the good news of the world, the good news of Jesus, pardon me, to the world, so that others would come to faith in Jesus. There is no greater calling that we could have. And I think that is what will bring us great joy. Early this week, I was talking with uh, Elisha, our roommate, and I said that it's it's joy this Sunday. That's the Advent theme. And I said, if you were going to preach, so Elisha, you can come up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I said, if you were going to preach, what would you talk about for joy? And without missing a beat, without missing a beat, Elisha says, oh, James. So we're going to flip to James together. And I said, you know what? I preached on that last year at Advent. But it's still true. It's still good, and it's still something that we should remind ourselves of. And I think when we have the joy of the gospel, when our focus is clear, that's when James can write this, starting in verse 2 of chapter 1. Count it all, what? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various, or when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That sounds crazy. Consider it joy when you face trials and opposition and difficulties and pain. But James can say that because he looks at this and goes, all of these circumstances that happen to me, God is in control, not the enemy. And so God has brought these moments to us to see, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to trust God, or are we going to trust ourselves instead? If you go back to the Garden of Eden, that's where it all went wrong to begin with, isn't it? Is that Adam and Eve didn't trust that everything that God had given them was good. They believed that something God said was not true. And so they took and they ate of the fruit, and they trusted themselves more than they trusted God. This is a rhetorical question because we don't need every hand in the room to go up. But how often do we find ourselves in a place where we trust ourselves instead of God? God, I know that you've said this, but I don't understand how that's going to work out, and so I'm just going to fix it. Or at least I think I'm going to fix it. This morning in our prayer time, Randy prayed something that, that kind of just sat with me real hard. As, as he mentioned he's in, in his prayer, he was talking to God with this sense of how awesome his plans for us are, and yet how so often we think we know better than God. And we pray that God would forgive us of that. 
How often do we say, I want to do it my way? If we do that, we're not going to look at our circumstances with joy, and we're certainly not going to look at our trials with joy. We're going to see them as an opposition to where I'm trying to get to. But what God sees them as is a way for you to mature in your growth and in your trust in Jesus Christ. Again, it's really easy to say these things until they happen to us. And so I want to ask you this question today. What are you facing that feels overwhelming? What is in front of you that's causing you angst and concern and and we're not and you're not trusting God for? Is there a relationship that's broken that you think that you have the power to fix? Are there financial difficulties that you have that you think, if only that problem was solved, then, then I wouldn't have this stress? You know, think of whatever the thing is, the relationship, the, the issue, the circumstance, the grief, the hurt, the fear, whatever it might be, and ask yourself this question, am I courageous enough to say, God, I trust you with this? You have been faithful, and you will be faithful. And though I don't understand it, though I can't see how it makes sense, I'm going to lay this at the cross, and I'm going to choose to follow you, and I'm going to choose to live a life of joy. The only reason James can write this is because he believed that. The only reason that you and I can face the trials that we have in front of us and say, God, while I don't know, I will trust you, is because we have seen God to be trustworthy. And so this is my challenge to you, is if you don't feel joy, and by that I don't mean that everything in your life is good, but that despite what's happened in your life, that you still feel joy. If you don't feel joy, I want you to ask the question of why not? Am I reading Scripture regularly to see that God is faithful? so that I can trust that he will fulfill his promises? Or am I looking at him and saying, God, why would you do this? How could you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? When we do that, our joy is going to get sucked from us because we're beginning to trust ourselves instead of God. The Magi respond with exceedingly great joy, and I'm not even sure how much they understood of who Jesus was. You and I, I hope, understand from what the Word of God says that Jesus is the Savior, that He came to conquer death, but He also came to give us purpose and meaning. And if we know that about Jesus, then how how can we respond but with anything but grace and humility and a deep-seated joy, even amidst the heartache? The short letter of Jude finishes with this benediction. It says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. That's my prayer for each of us here this morning. 
that that's how we respond when we think of who Jesus is. So I want to read that statement one more time. And then I'm just going to pray as we close, and I'm going to pray that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation that David prayed. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let's pray. God, I, even as I read those verses again, which I have read many times this week, I am reminded how many times I don't think that. And so, God, would you forgive me of my lack of faith and trust in you when my joy is taken by the circumstances around me? As David prays in the Psalms, would you restore the joy of your salvation? Would the truth of the gospel be the center-encompassing thing in every part of my life and in the life of those here this morning? That we would not allow anything to compare with it. As the Apostle Paul writes, that nothing, nothing is worth comparing with you. And so God, I pray that we would see that, that we would read scripture, that we would remind ourselves that you are faithful and that you have fulfilled your promises and you will fulfill the promises yet to come. God, help us to not get sucked into this culture and this world. Help us to see you as the most important thing that we could ever have. That we might live a life that honors you because we are so filled with grateful hearts. So that we can live joyfully in a world that is lacking it. And so that our friends, our family, our coworkers, our housemates, everybody that we interact with, that does not know you, that they would see our life and they would say, why can you be joyful in the midst of this? And we can say, let me tell you where my joy comes from. God, give us the hope, the peace, and the joy that you have promised. And help us to remain focused on you, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be everything to us. And give us courage this week as we walk out into a world desperate for hope, peace, and joy. May we point them towards Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done. Would you fill our hearts this morning with your promises that we might remember them and live joyfully. Go with us today. Amen. Thank you all for joining us. There's a time of refreshments, coffee, and snacks through.